What's up, y'all? This is your boy Razkaz, the Waterproof MC, and you are now tuned into Insomniac Magazine. Don't sleep. You know, sleep is the cousin of death. That's right. The legendary MC Razkaz made history in 1996 with his iconic album Soul on Ice. Since then, he's continued to make impactful hip-hop music with social and lyrical potency. In this interview, the West Coast Mike Titan shares insight into his music industry journey, including his deals with major labels and his creative and innovative approaches to marketing his independent releases. Razkaz talks about hip-hop, his new project, the election, and more. With no further ado, let's get into it. All right, so Razkaz, how you doing, man? So good to uh, have you on. Happy to be here. Thank you. Uh, don't sleep on real hip hop. It's on the act. You know nice, what it is. nice, nice. So I had the uh, the pleasure of checking out your newest album, INCS. I'm gonna let people uh, or have you tell people what what that stands for. Maybe we could talk a little bit about the concept. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm not clearing shit. So essentially. Um, you know, hip hop was started, you know, uh, what do they say? Uh, necessity is the mother of all invention. And literally when they took the instruments out of the inner city is kind of, you know, the creation of hip hop. You know, there's no no instrument. Uh, luckily, Clark's sister, you're Bronx, you know, you represent the Bronx. So it gave us a culture because we didn't have instruments. And luckily... You know, he thought about playing two breaks, you know, and apparently it was her sister that bought him the mixer and turntable. So it's always a great lady, the foundation. So cool, her sister bought him the turntables. He figures out, oh, if I play this break back to back, it's the invention of the loop. And the loop is the foundation for every, you know, essentially every hit record and rap. We sampled other stuff and put our rhymes over it, our drums over it, our bass lines. You know, we took rock and roll, we took house records, we took jazz records, we took classical records, took funk records and combined different shit and spit over it, you know, and, and, and there was no clearing. You wouldn't have got you guys to chill from EPMD or, you know, or NWA, Fuck the Police, you know, all these, all these different records. Um, anything. Eric B for president, like nothing. You don't you get nothing. So I just felt like rappers got so corporate that everybody and 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 and, and they transition people sonically to want strictly one sound this trap music essentially because it's sample free but you lose a lot of the creativity when everything it, like it's not organic there's no flute there's no you know there's no high i had there's inside the baseline that like you just have somebody this this real generic commercialized sound they all look like the same Cheeseburger from McDonald's, you know, oh, tomato, one, one, a little, you know, it's assembly line shit. Homogenized. So I want to just go back to the culture. Homogenized, great word. That was the word I was looking for. And so I just wanted to do something fun, you know, you know, uh, again, more of, uh, for the culture to make something that, that was, I can't clear these samples. I sampled like Elvis. They're never going to let me clear that. So I, I don't give a fuck though. It doesn't mean I can't interpret an Elvis record and gun it down. And, and do it, you know, essentially for the sake of doing it, like, fuck it, dare to dream the impossible dream, you know, just a friend, Biz Marquis, what if he would have said, I oh, can't, can't do it, you know, nah, this shit is legendary, so I just wanted to kind of give it, you know, 
do my take on some of the records that even when I had a deal, they wouldn't have cleared that record. You know, I tried to sample the Beatles and I was signed to Capitol Records. They're like, we're not clearing that for you. It's not going to happen. Wow. So fuck them. Now I can sample the Beatles. Yeah. It's interesting because you're right. I think a big, you know, and there are a lot of reasons for this, but I think a big part of the stifling of creativity in hip hop and kind of keeping it at its origins with so much diversity and sound has really been the obstacles of being able to use music, at least little clips and, and bits yeah. of, of music from right. every single genre because you can't afford it. It's independent. It's almost impossible, right? Well, it, it, it's, it's almost, it's pretty much impossible. The other black part about it is that, you know, I, I kind of, you know, sometimes I, I feel like Rick Ross, pulls it off a lot um and i actually applaud him like you know and that's justice league in them they they sample and play dr dre is kind of that guy too he samples and plays the records get bigger um but if you just completely say oh everything has to be jay-z did it with the last album you know like i want to hear some samples bro that's the shit because that's even part of digging in the crates is you flipping that sample like i never i didn't see it going that way Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I kind of know the sample, but what the fuck did he do to it? Just Blaze. You know what I'm saying? Premiere. Kick in the door. I didn't know. I put a spell on you. Bum, 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 bum. Like, that's come on, man. That's the heart of this of this culture is that. And to rip that out is is whack. You know? And, uh, you know, I feel like, again, uh, the, the industry has, has made the standard where they've trained people's ears to want this one generic sound and it's almost not even worth clearing a sample sometimes, you know what I mean? Unless you're Drake or Eminem or Jay-Z because you won't get a return because they're still trained to like the generic cheeseburger from McDonald's. Um, but, you know, I, I wanted to do something that I thought was dope and that I felt like, you know, people that are speaking my language would say like, oh, that's dope. I ain't clearing shit. Fuck that. And you I, love- I kind of wanted it to be a series, you know, I call. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Keep, keep, keep that thought. You wanted to make it a series. Uh, yeah, I want to make it a series and shit. I hope, hopefully, catch on. You know, I just want to see dope people use dope samples and dope producers and chop them and, you know, uh, you know, make it like I call mine a vinyl playlist. So, you know, I'm just out here, uh, you know, trying to do some, some inventive, creative stuff, man. You know, I don't want to keep staying in the same box. <laughs> Nice. And uh, as usual, you brought the bars, which I think is your hallmark. It's your staple to really come thoroughly with the lyricism. On top of that, I see you have a song uh, titled after the authentic king of rock, Mr. Chuck Berry. Yes. I like that. Yes. That was that was my that's what started the whole thing. I've, I've been wanting to do this Chuck Berry thing and I've had this idea. I wanted to sample that particular Elvis record and I could never find somebody that, you know, I had it up here, but nobody could make it so. And so finally I ran across the right producer where I told him basically what I wanted to do and he made it so. And came out ill. Like, you know, it's funny because in Chuck Berry, the song is called Chuck Berry, we sample Elvis. Obviously I had to use the public enemy. Elvis wasn't never meant shit to me, you know, was a hero the most. So 
that gave me a great excuse to use one of my favorite lines in hip hop. And then uh, if you listen close, in the second half of each verse, there's actually Prince in it. So it mm. comes full circle. Chuck Berry the Prince. There's a Prince right. guitar right. solo. Nice. Yeah. So just, you know, you know, so once again, like giving our credit where the credit is due, the cultural vulture, we get cultural vultured a lot. When I grew up, I thought rock and roll was, you know, some dude biting their head off a bat. Didn't know my people made it. You know what I mean? Um, I thought jazz was Kenny G. Didn't know my people made it. You know, they, they steal our culture and take credit for it. And I want to reclaim it. Indeed, indeed. And obviously there is a track called Culture Vulture on there. Not to yeah. mention, uh, you got you got a little bit of everything. I mean, it's it's all authentic hip hop. You got that Mandalorian joint, which is really smooth. It's kind of fly. <laughs> you got you got uh, two other hip hop icons, Ice T and my man Cool Keith on Level Up, which yes. is a fly track. Yes, uh, Facts is Thank hardcore, and uh, I love hearing Master Little Man Ace. terminology. Yep, no question, no question. Master Ace on Coach that. Uh, Homegirl Brevy, who does a lot of, uh, she's a hook meister. So she does a lot of like Cypress Hill and Exhibit. Uh, she did the hook on With God. with uh, It's a uh, uh, locksmith, Exhibit and Me. She did that hook. She's just a little chick with a big voice. So, and she rhymes too. So that uh, the one with Shirley Temple, I figured I'd get a little Shirley Temple. <laughs> but a monster. And, and uh, she killed it, Brev. Brev killed that record. Nice. I like that a lot, man. Um, I like the cover, too. I mean, the cover does bring it back. The aesthetics brings it back to its origins. Right. You got all the vinyl set up. You got your records in there. You have all the samplers and, it, and the turntables. And it just it feels <laughs> like anyone that has dug in the crates and is a producer, it looks like their bedroom. Right. Well, it actually is uh, House Shoes from Detroit, BJ House Shoes bedroom. So it's his, <laughs> it's his room. There you yeah. go. There you go. Um, I, it, it, which was cool. So I always got to give my credit. You get the credit where it's due. I was like, yo, I need this. He had posted it. I was like, take another one. Just give me a high, high resolution photo of the bedroom. And uh, yeah, man, it came out dope. You know, staged a couple of things or whatever. Uh, but yeah, man, shouts out that shoes because that's what I wanted. I wanted that. That's that is the aesthetic. I wanted people to feel. And th- if you look at it, actually, there's already wear of the vinyl, right, in the artwork. So it looks like it's been sitting in a crate with a whole bunch of other vinyls. So the record is almost you know wearing through the through the, through the cardboard. Nice. You know that's what we wanted. Some some digging in the crates. You know some some. Some retro, Indeed. retro, uh, you know, not not necessarily nostalgia, but just back to the essence. Right, right. Make it feel crispy. It'll make it feel grainy a little bit. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You got the uh, the Gritty. audible, audible mm-hmm. static and you got the visual static going. Yes. Yes, sir. Indeed. If you don't mind, man, I'd love to uh, go back a little bit to your start in the industry it, because... You know, you mentioned mm-hmm. giving credit, and I think it, it was kind of interesting. I mean, you weren't alone. You were one of these artists that came from the West Coast that had a non-West Coast sound. I, I will put you in the same, not lyrically, but in the same world as like the 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 alcoholics and the King T's and the High Rose and all those groups that kind of broke mm-hmm. the mold from the West Coast, right? 
So if you don't mind, bring me back to your beginning. What specifically was it that had you come in the game with that with that flair versus the more traditional West Coast vibe that was that was obviously well, the thing well, at I, the time? Well, I would say this that, that that okay. So you're from the the mecca of of hip hop, you know, the Bronx specifically, New York in general. Big Daddy Kane didn't sound like Rock Kim. Rock Kim didn't sound like Biz Marquis. Biz Marquis didn't sound like uh, uh, Leaders of the New School. Leaders of the New School didn't sound like Tribe Called Quest, and on and on and on and exactly. on. Exactly. So what what people seem to forget is that we are not one monolithic state True. or cults. We always existed. There was always us. It's just that the music industry decided to paint this one picture and they marketed y'all and sold you guys on that we all had a Jerry Curl and we crip walk and a 6-4 bounce and then we drink the 40 ounce and we do our drive-by and then we sea walk back to the 6-4. It wasn't that. And so what, what happened was is hard because that was high successful and, and, and that is part of our lifestyle. That is part of our culture, but it's not the only part of our culture. You got to remember, we got surfer culture, skater culture, weed, gang, and on and on. All those things coexist in the same environment. And what what uh, our record companies did was market and sold everybody on one facet of who we are. True. And that was unfortunate for them. So they just tried to make us look like we were all that. And, and, and it became harder and harder to get acknowledgement when you weren't that because that was proven to be successful already True. so i would always say from the on from the from the onset i'm not unique i'm unique in my interpretation of hip-hop but i'm not unique in not being a dude with a jerry curl crip walking to the six fold and so um for me you know i i just always use that analogy about Again, you know, Run MC didn't sound like Cool J. Cool J didn't sound like Rakim. How would you ever have, have imagined that we all sat there and sounded like Ice T? Yeah. Indeed, so much of, of what folks understand about the culture of hip hop has indeed been through the lens of corporate, in, in many ways, major corporate entities. So that, that's a great point. That you brought that up. Speaking of of major entities, mm-hmm. you 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 came in the game as far as the, the the business goes. You came in the game, which is kind of interesting, as a as an artist in the West Coast through a label that was based in in the East Coast in Atlanta. That was a was it a subsidiary of Priority, which was on the West Coast, or was it a distribution deal, or what a production deal? What was that? What patchwork? Uh, uh well, uh, it was. <laughs> Started as a production company and then became basically a distribution deal. Um, But Patchworks is actually... Patchworks, the patch is a city, is a neighborhood in my city, in Carson. So Carson is in between Compton and Long Beach. Like, you basically can't get to Long Beach without going through my city. So we're the next, right next to Compton. And the owner, the creation of Patchworks was really me and my older friend 
I'll use that term loosely, that played for the Atlanta Falcons. So Patchworks essentially is not an Atlanta company. It's really a Carson, California company. The Patch is a blood neighborhood in Carson. <laughs> so it was just, he was based there playing for the Falcons and he opened the studio in Atlanta. Right. And so people, which was great, like in, in the, in the, in the bigger scope of things, we have been so responsible directly and indirectly for really the foundation of, uh, very instrumental in the foundation of, of, of the South's success. Indeed. A lot of the executives, many of the, pretty much every artist from the South started at those studio, at that studio. Jeezy, T.I., you know, whatever, executives, uh, period, that run those, you know, the labels. Um, they started interning at Patchwork. So, you know, things happen for a reason. But the Patch is literally a blood neighborhood in Carson. Wow. <laughs> and Soul on Ice was the first album through Patchwork Priority, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you kind of set it off. Yeah, because... the. But it, yeah, well, Patchworks was essentially th- three people. For, uh, it was Bob, the owner, me, the artist, and Curtis Daniel, who's now the complete owner, who was kind of going to be my manager. So it was it, Patchwork it literally was three dudes that lived in a patch doing work together. It's like super basic. <laughs> it wasn't a lot of thought into it. It wasn't like so, you know, mysterious name. It was like, you, we live in the patch, we're doing work. So, yeah, man. Um, yeah, it was me. Patchworks was me. I was Patchworks. Curtis was, you know, I was the artist. Uh, we, we, we were an indie, indie company, that kind of a production company, but really we were an independent company. And then we uh, put out some, uh, a, a vinyl and we got some traction and got some awareness and then we got some opportunities and then we went to... Uh, we ended up taking a deal. We we had options. The blessing was, uh, you know, Rick Rubin. Uh, it was Deaf American that became American Records. Mm-hmm. So Rick Rubin would come pick me up. You know, I had a crazy experience. Uh, uh, Chris Lighting, rest in peace, would fly. You know, flew me out to Def Jam. I had options, and uh, you know, I uh, ended up picking Priority Records. Um, and uh, you know, the rest is you know what happened. Right. Um, you know. Um, for better or for worse. Right, right. <laughs> and, and Priority was killing it at the time. I mean, they really were a monster label, especially in hip-hop. Yeah. Yeah, they... they um, Priority, you know, when I signed and Soul and Ice came out, you got to keep in mind, uh, Jay-Z was there. Reasonable Doubt is a Priority Records album. Um, we had a squad, Boot Camp Click. We had incredible, you know, we had... Dope artists. We had, we had uh, what you call them? We had Pharaoh Amach and them. We had uh, uh, Organized Confusion. We had, like, our squad was crazy, bro. Um, I, I will say this, you know, I, I hate to be negative, Nancy, but they failed a lot of us. They failed Boot Camp. They failed Razzcast. They failed Jay Z. That's why Jay Z left. He was able to get out of the system. Um, they, it, you know, and, and I, you know, I don't mean it, like I said, I don't mean to be negative, Nancy, but they, we had, the only other people, you know, Loud, like Loud was successfully getting the illest cats and popping it off. Wu-Tang, uh, the Licks, 
uh, 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 Mob Deep, who, you know, they crushing them. But we had Pun. We had Squad. We had Jay and Raz and, you know, Boot Camp. And we had more. Organized Confederate. Like, we had the ill cats, too. And they just didn't know how to market us. They only knew how to market gang rap. And uh, so they, they did a poor job with, the, uh, with a lot of us. And, and some of us were able to get out before the Titanic sank. Right. Uh, for me, it was harder to get off the Titanic. Right. Now, but now back to that, that first album. I mean, in, in many ways, it was groundbreaking because of the sound. In some ways, it was prophetic. If you think about the fact, though, you, you know better than anybody else, the fact that, you know, you had a record on there that in many ways, uh, it, talk about this, the test of time. Here, are, here we are a quarter century later and and we're going through all of these crazy things that many of us thought we had gotten over in society and you kind of broke out the uh the history of of racism on a record 25 years ago in hip hop you know you had a lot you had some you had political rap obviously out there public enemy obviously trailblazers but there wasn't a lot and and i would say that you know that was a groundbreaking track and obviously a classic album let's talk a little bit about the the circumstances around van gogh your if i'm not mistaken your third album not being released because there was a merger between priority and capital and if you don't mind talk a little bit about the circumstances that led to this album not coming out yeah, so Brian Turner, the owner of Party Records, sold half of his company somewhere around 1998, 99-ish. By 2000, they, they got the controlling share, and they uh, they had kept him as a figurehead, and they squeezed him out, and then they they bought the rest of it, of, of it out, and they were doing a merger. And so, unfortunately for me, in 2000, I was having this record that was supposed to come out fourth quarter Van Gogh and when mergers happen, these big corporate mergers radio, there's so many departments in it, you know, in any company. So there's the legal and there's promotions and there's radio. What happens is nobody was doing their job. Everybody was busy typing out resumes. <laughs> so Resumes going out because they don't know if they're going to be fired or not. I didn't know that. I was just going business as usual. And what happened was that it was that they brought in a new vice president. And, uh, you know, we had shot a great video. The song was called Back It Up. Uh, Rick Rock, the producer who had done fabulous uh, Jay-Z, changed the game. He's on a roll. We got a hot producer with a hot record. Uh, We shot an amazing video. And, you know, uh, it's not really activating. I'm like, hey, what's going on with, you know, this is pretty, you know, pretty logically. And it's a dope record from the A-list producer in the time. And uh, about a week before the album came out, um, the, the vice president called a meeting. I went in with my lawyer and she, she just kept it, you know, fairly honest. And she said, you know, nobody's been doing their job here. And a lot of these people are going to be fired. So we've just fired this staff and da-da-da-da-da. So they weren't doing their job for the past two or three months. And unfortunately, it's going to reflect on what happens to your album next week. So she showed, you know, I, I wish I would have grabbed some CDs and vinyls. What a dumb me just for me to have it. But we manufactured. 
there should somewhere in capital somewhere with, you know, one day hopefully I can go in there and go look for it. Cause I'd love to grab some of those just to have one aesthetically. Um, but she, you know, she said, uh, so, there, you know, there's a couple of things we can do here. You know, um, we, we can put this record out and it, it's not going to perform because we didn't do our job, not because of anything you did. The people didn't do their job. They were they were worried about getting fired and some of them are probably are getting fired. And so we can put it out and it won't perform or we can kind of just shelve it. We'll use whatever you want from that record and we'll build this new album once the merger happens. And unfortunately also, uh, you know, back then we didn't have the digital era. So, you know, you had to mail out copies of the album for the magazines. And that usually was 60 to 90 days in advance for the source magazine, for the bigger magazine, 60, 90 day advance. So the album was out uh, to a certain degree for press and from press, it was getting bootlegged anyway. It was get, it was leaked. And so I had to make a decision and, and they gave me two options. It was put it out, let it fail or kind of scrap it, but maybe use whatever I wanted from it and build this new album. Um, and they would give me the resources to build this new album. And, uh, and so I went with option B. I was just like, yeah, I don't want to just put it out with no help. Why don't, I, why don't I utilize what, you know, some of the things in it and build this new album? And so that was the choice. Um, you know, again, hindsight is twenty twenty. I kind of wish I would have just let that record have, have come out. And, um, you know, maybe, you know, I probably would have been dropped because the record wouldn't have performed and they would have saw me as a liability and I would have been free. And I, I had a lot of other options back then, but... You know, they had promised, that, you know, the, to, to make a, a, a important, you know, a, a 100 percent, you know, effort to 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 treat my career the way it deserved to be treated. And unfortunately, those things didn't happen. So, yeah, but that's that's what happened with Van Gogh. That's how Van Gogh got killed. And and that was so common uh, during that era. I remember in the 90s, you would know, you know, you get to know people at labels and then you would find out that some higher up departed, maybe because the artists they signed weren't getting, you know, the traction they should. And then it seemed like it was a domino effect, like slowly or quickly, everybody below the bluff. And there was a whole new batch of people who brought in their people. And yeah. then you would see that as a cycle yep. time and time again. And it always seemed yeah. as though the artists were the paid the ultimate price, right? Because they were signed still to the label, yes, but didn't course. have the support because the people that were there had an allegiance to whoever they brought in. Exactly. They had a whole different agenda and and, and, and no vested interest. And, and, and they don't teach you that in any school. There's no school that teaches you that. You have to go through business. It happens all the time in movie theaters. And this movie's greenlit. And then all of a sudden... The president's gone. It's a new president. He's like, I don't like that guy. Uh, I don't care about that movie. I have this other movie that I was talking to my guys about. And 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 and, and a whole bunch of hard blood, sweat, tears gets, you know, just corporately flushed down the toilet. So, you know, that it, it, I, I, again, for me, I was given an option uh, with the new staff and... Uh, and I chose that the, the option to 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 let that record kind of die and build a new one. Um, it's just unfortunately the new staff didn't live up to to all their you know all their you know their promises. So 
you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Right. Indeed. Indeed. Now, was that what led ultimately to your departure from priority? Well, I, my depart, departure from priority was was not a, a, a fast one. I, I by then we were moving into 2001, 2002, where I was supposed to the Golden Child album. Mm-hmm. And then we get into a whole other series of uh, Rome doing that I felt the company was, was doing uh, to me and my career. And so I sued for a uh, breach of contract. Um, they countersued me uh, in law in California, and then the parent company. Uh, so the capital, I sued Capital for breach of contract. They countersued me, and then the parent company EMI in New York sued me again. So they sued me corporations. The parent, there's a bigger umbrella than just Capital. It's EMI, and bigger than EMI, there's Virgin in Europe. And so I had the big, big dogs try to destroy my life. So once I sued in 2002, I sued to be fired, and I didn't get out of that contract until 2010. Wow. So they were just going to find me up and just ruin my career, and that was their goal. Right, right. And It, it was and the it, black woman, black accused me of being a racist, accused me of being um, alcoholic, and accused me of being uh, lazy and tie me up in litigation and make sure nobody played my record. So, I, like I say in um, Solo Nights 2, I was Kaepernick 15 years ago on some rapper shit. Uh, uh, I was Kaepernick 15 years ago on some rapper shit. Uh, uh, ostracized, ostracized by capitalists for being activists. And I didn't have 15, and I didn't have 25 million stacks to live. Purposely destroy my career means you attack my kids. Indeed, indeed. So, yeah, I'm, I'm Kaepernick. Indeed, I hear you, man. And, <laughs> and, and what would you say was your biggest lesson during your time in the major label structure? Oh, um... Always have an out. You have to design. I watched Exhibit Escape, almost a doomsday scenario that would have changed this trajectory. I watched the same thing with Jay-Z. Um, and uh, I didn't have that lever. Um, you know, I don't want to talk everybody's business, but in general, uh, Reasonable Doubt is a party records album, and they failed him. And uh, Russell Simmons wanted to blow up Foxy. And Ain't No Nigga was his B-side to his vinyl, to his single. Priority Records refused flat out to shoot a video for that song. They're, I, they're thinking from the from from the executive side, the, the vice president literally said, the first single didn't do anything. The A-side, why would we ever spend money on a B-side? And so for four months, Jay-Z's album sold no units. And because Russell Simmons wanted to blow up Foxy, he took the song, put it on the Who's the Man soundtrack. They shot a video on the record went gold four months later. That's unheard of. Usually a record's dead. After the first month, first week, really, they're looking at the numbers for the first week, the second week, 
to see if this is a success or not. And because Jay-Z's record was considered a failure, they were never going to, four months into, they were never going to shoot another video for him. And Russell saw it looking to invest in the artist he signed and utilized the record and got the single gold and that, and that thrust the album gold. And Jay-Z was able to get out of this situation at priority because there was a middleman. Uh, it was Rockefeller freeze def, uh, priority records freeze dropped Rockefeller. And then Rockefeller was able to ink a new deal with Def Jam. I didn't have the luxury of having a middleman to, to, to get me out of a, a, a bad home. And so that was why, you know, you know, I always say, you know, no disrespect to all the business acumen and talent of, of a Jay-Z, but Jay-Z would be sitting here right here with Razkaz, another dope MC that, you know, the business side of it got fucked up. Um, and so, uh, yeah, man, uh, I, I, I always impart that to any new or any artist, period. If they haven't learned that, you have to design a contract that's in your best interest that protects your ability to 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 leave. Because just leaving, they dr- they drug it out for almost ten years. Wow, I mean, they cert- right? Certainly, good at good advice for for new artists getting in the game. Now, that being said, you have been very consistent as an independent and have done some really innovative and creative things. I would say on the on the tech side, I want to talk about that for a little bit. The quarterly for that right. record, you dropped a single a week and you sold it directly from your website. Right. If you don't mind, tell me a little bit about what inspired that. Was there someone specific that you saw do something like that or was there something else? And and what were the results of that? How did you feel good about the results of that? Yeah, the. um I watch people selling books or indie band or, or, you know, just other businesses and their innovative business models. I can't remember exactly what spurred that idea. Um, but I'm always interested in trying. There's no one way to fly. There's no one way to swim. Look at all the different, you know, octopus swims fast as shit. Uh, swims totally different than a shark, you know, um, that's swims, if, you know, bir- different bees fly, birds fly, airplanes fly, helicopter, you know, so there's, there's different paths to success is what I'm trying to say. And I, I, I'm always trying to find these different things that, that may work for me that are innovative. Um, you know, I was one of the first people to try, um, uh, as a, as a hip hop artist to try, not GoFundMe. It was the one before GoFundMe. You know, I, I, Kickstarter. Yeah. And we would like, they right? use us as kind of like, yeah, exactly. So, you know, we're always trying these interesting models um, because I wasn't taught business. You know, a lot of urban you know, kids aren't taught business. So I, I took a lot of L's because I didn't know business. And now I'm having, you know, I enjoy the business side of it and trying to figure out some things and, you know, it's, it's trial and error. Um, um, but it gives me the ability to, you know, when, when other people ask me questions, I can have an informed answer for them now, you know, like, Hey man, well, this is what I tried. I would suggest you do this. This is what, you know, this is kind of what I think maybe we did wrong on our attempt or whatever. And so, you know, I, um, 
I, I, I will always try a different model just to see how it works. You know, I'm just interested in the models just for the sake of scientific experiment. Indeed, indeed, and, and for that, for that record that you that you used Kickstarter for, and and that was at the very beginning of Kickstarter. If I'm not mistaken, they weren't even around for a year when you utilized them, and you uh, you really had a comprehensive marketing strategy with that, which I found really inspiring as someone that's very fond of marketing. That included not only having the the you know the kickstarter campaign itself but you did something really clever with the what was it the um the save was it the save an artist no the save ross save the rascals save, save the rascals campaign the it saved the rascals right 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 so. <laughs> and you, you had a um if i'm not mistaken you were doing almost like infomercials where you would play like Save the endangered animals, save, you know, mm-hmm. the, the tiger, the cheetah, right. the elephant, and then save, you know, this, you know, lyrical elite MC or something of that nature. Right. So, yeah, you know, I'm a bit of a nerd. I have a very stupid sense of humor. So for me, that it was just, you know, my friends are like, what are you doing, man? Like, that's not a good look. I'm like, no, to me, it totally entertains me because I'm more like, you know, it was a mix of the endangered animal thing, but then it was also, you know, the Christian fun, and there's, like, meet little Timmy, and Timmy's got a fly on his face. So it was that part, too. Um, For the cost of buying coffee, you could feed this kid for, you know, whatever. So it was in the mix. That's why it wasn't fa- save Razzcaz. It was the Razzcaz. Like, it's mm. all kind of different. The Razzcaz is there. Like, you know, I was just, I, I happened to be one of, you know, that was part of the play of it. And right. I thought it was entertaining thought it was funny and the fans thought it was funny and you know I, I just think um you know um I think it clues people into my personality sometimes people think I'm this like angry always mad militant black guy and I'm like man I got a dumb sense of humor and I really enjoy doing that campaign because it kind of showcases you know people that really know me so then your your next album which by the way it was about a 10 year span between soul on ice one soul on ice two that record you i thought it was pretty creative that you had a i don't know if you want to call it a version on i guess it was a book version you had the seat you had the 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 audio version obviously on on formats but you also had the book version what was the inspiration to have a version where you deliver not only visuals but also the lyrics in book on book format. That was um all credit due to Curtis Daniel, the owner of Patchwork Studios, who's one of my oldest friends and actually my first fan ever as a kid. So Kurt, you know, we he had come up with this idea to to sit and dissect, like spit 16 bars from a song and explain the thought process. He always felt like I go over people's heads. He's like, by the time you catch one bar, you already four bars, six bars down to something else. You should sit and read a rhyme and then explain each line, line for line. So we created line for line. Um, And we had done that. We did that for like two years consistently. Shouts out to Patchwork Studios and Fantasy Images, you know, for for helping me do that in Atlanta. Um, 
And you're welcome to all the people that stole our idea and renamed it something else. But we we originated that, you know, it would be nice if you guys would have credited us for that. And hip hop is called, you know, giving some credit where the credit is due. But, you know, people kind of bite and don't get a credit. That's kind of whack. But anyway, we originated that. Um, and uh, he, you know, the, the next evolution of that was when I was working on Solo Nights nice 2 was to do the line for lines, but actually just, you know, make the book, the coffee table book, something that you could look at. Um, you know, the art was inspired by the lyrics. So, um, but, you know, amazing artists from Atlanta, you know, listened to the music and then drew what he felt around it. And, uh, you know, it, it, I just want, you know, um, it, it became, you know, sometimes an album comes and goes, but for, you know, for, for, for my journey to celebrate it, um, my love for being in this culture, it gave me so much, this hip, this thing we call hip hop. Um, I wanted to just have something tangible, you know, um, that wasn't just a CD. So, you know, to read it, look at the art, kind of, you know, to get the aesthetics, the, the, you know, aesthetically show you my zone and my process. So what we wanted to show you was what I really wrote, like how I write. And then, you know, and you see me scratched out and some of the stuff didn't make it to the, to the song. And some of the, you know, that like, so we, we have literally the pages from my notebook and then we transcribe it where it's legible. And then there's art um, inspired by that. And I, I you know, I, I, I mean, you know, I want to make meaningful things. Um, my sister, my younger sister just saw it for the first time. She was like, that is amazing art. And that's, I, and I felt, you know, that means a lot to me. I want to make art. And because and, I may, you know, because this is such a corporate system, I may not, not ever get my Grammy thank you or none of, none of that. You know, hip hop is, is so uh, corporate at this point. You know, the, the artists don't put you on, on their songs if they don't think you, the you know, the popular guy, you know, and it used to be about the skill set. Now it's about who's popular on, on, you know, and, and I don't, I'm not probably going to be on, you know, BET a lot. I don't make that kind of music. So if that means my favorite rappers don't want to do songs with me because I, I haven't cooned out, then that's their loss. But for me, I'm still going to make quality music and, and, and do quality stuff because that's the legacy I'm going to leave for my children and for, for the culture, period. Speaking of culture and speaking of, of the corporate structure, obviously those two things don't jive a lot of times, at least not, uh, not to preserve the culture. So when, right. it comes to, when it comes to the current state of hip-hop, it seems as though the appreciation for lyricism amongst today's quote-unquote hip-hop fans is at an all-time low. What are your thoughts about that? Uh, um, I, w- I would say that you're right. I think that's correct. I think um, we're more, like they've even said it to me before, like it ain't about the lyrics, it's lifestyle-driven. You know, it's about buying into this guy's gimmick really is what they're telling you. Um I would, I would also, well, I would dare to say this is that, you know, as American and urban Puerto Ricans and blacks and the people that created this, this, this thing of ours, this culture, we, we haven't, we haven't guarded it well. And we've let other people tell us what, what, what's valid and what's important. We used to create the trends. Now we follow the trends that other people have set for us that are outside of our culture. Um, 
And unfortunately, you know, hip hop is alive in, in, in Poland, in Germany, in France, and, and, and hip hop is dying, slowly getting strangled here in America. And, um, you know, what, one of the biggest things is that, you know, to, to, for somebody to get on and say, I'm not a rapper, but then why are you rapping? Like we didn't, we didn't guard our, you know, I'm a hustler. Well, well then do something else. Why we shouldn't even support it and allow people to come in with that kind of narrative to destroy the culture. Um, if there's no focus on lyrics, then why why do you 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 don't do what we do? We're rappers. Producer can't say I don't care about the beat. And here I'm just gonna play blow a, a, a blow a horn, blow a car horn, and I'm the producer. I don't care because they're all about the money. Why? That's crazy. You went a lot of it from the production side, but they train people to accept that from from the from the rap side of it. No question. What what do you think about the and you mentioned it, you mentioned Poland. What what do you think about the phenomenon for decades now where you have this affinity for authentic hip hop and its roots, the culture overseas, where a lot of times that aspect of the of hip hop is missing here. What do you think it is about that, I don't know, them uh, the gravitation to the culture and to the authenticity and to the originators overseas and not here? What, what do you think about, where, where did that come from? And do you see that? Have you seen that a lot? Yeah, I've seen it. Um, this is not unique. I mean, we made rock and roll. By the time I was born or aware, I thought rock and roll was some devil worshiper biting the head off of a bat. We don't safeguard our creations. They take it. Americans, black people make, urban people make this stuff. And then we allow it to get so commercialized that they drain the culture out of it. Yoga's a white person's thing now, not India. You understand what I'm saying? They take it, steal it, strip it, and we allow it to happen. And so they've always stolen our music. We created country western. We created jazz music. You know what happened to the real jazz artists? They moved to Japan. They moved to France. I mean, by the time I was aware, Kenny G was jazz. If you look at La La Land, they created jazz, according to them. And we lost hip hop the same way. And we and and, and we took, we drank the, the Kool Aid. Skills don't matter. Yeah, I'm hot. I, this is the cool stuff. This trap song with this dude mumbling because. BT and, and corporate America, they gave him a Pepsi deal. So he must be good because he wore a dress and said nothing and repeated the same thing with auto tune. He he good. Right. We didn't safeguard the culture. And those other people care about the culture. We keep creating stuff born out of true, you know, uh what do they say invention is the is uh, uh, um, necessity is the mother of invention. We right, create right. things out of necessity, then they steal it and water it down, and we we busy trying to get their accolades, and then they tell us what they want. I mean, you got to understand what the demographics of a pop record are. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell them to you now. When you make a pop record, the demographics for a pop record is 13 to 23. 
really about 27. But usually I do 10-year uh, uh, gaps. So 13 to 23-year-old female. Um, preferably with disposable income. So you want the younger girl. Disposable income. So you, who usually has disposable? Who's a girl who usually has disposable income? A white girl, middle class white girl, has disposable income. Her parents give her money. She wants to go see, uh, you know, whatever the 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 whatever British boy band is popping and whatever. So now they've told black men and and Latin men, you know, Dominican, what Puerto Rican, whatever, making this tough shit that your demographic to be successful is to make songs that target little 13-year-old white girls. Sounds pretty rapey to me. I don't think, I've never been a 13-year-old white girl, nor do I want to relate to her. Right. But that's what these, and that's why the songs are gyrating and girl, and it really, the, the, it's very sing-songy, girl, 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 and touch it, I want to touch it. Do some, and then they throw in the drug shit because they want us to destroy ourselves anyway. I'm addicted to the cocaine, and I'm addicted to the cocaine. And girl, 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 girl. And so it, it, they have trained us and rewarded that, you know, this Pavlovian. That's the reward. If you do that kind of stuff, just like in on the West Coast, they, you blow the whistle, the dog drool, if you train it. The whistle, oh, put on the, if you put on the khaki suit, you get money. If you act like an ignorant gang member because you're from L.A., we'll reward you with success. I don't want to do that. Indeed, and clearly this didn't start in in recent history. This is something that's slowly been building over the past two decades. Yeah, yeah. They wanted to get rid of fight the power and poor righteous teachers, and I don't want that. That's too much. Like making sense. They want party life's fun. It's, it's Marie Antoinette. Feed them cake. Give them a circus. This is circus music. Wow. So do you think there's a chance for, for I don't know, the, the authentic? Of course. There's always a chance, and there's always people making good music. Of course. But we got to support our own. You know, I'm not anti. I'm not anti much. I'm pro a lot. Right, right. It takes more energy to be anti. Oh, I hate the, I hate this. And I hate, no, I just like this. So I support good hip hop. I don't complain about what the radio does. I just don't listen to it. So shortly after the election, the 2016 election, you broke down what happened on a song and video called American. So here we are almost four years later. What do you think is going to happen? It seems like racism we know never went away. However, it appears that it's been emboldened by all the dog whistles we've heard for the last three or four years coming from the top. What do you think is going to happen? Well, I would dare to say these were, these were not dog whistles anymore. These are dog barks. Dog barking. <laughs> so they're emboldened by dog barking and dog biting. You got the police shooting everybody and not giving a fuck. Um, I don't know. We are in a, we are in a, we're very interesting uh, turning point in our, in, in our American history. Uh, you know, nature of the threat. And I wrote that in, you know, 25 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. But 
Dr. Cress, you know, Francis Cress Welsing and other great black scholars have been saying the same things over and over. Uh, W.E.B. Du Bois said that this was systematic and, and that society knew what it was doing to black people. So this is these are not unique novel thoughts. None of nothing that I've said is just that most of our people prefer to be in a codependent relationship with their rapist. And so they didn't. And then you can't expect your rapist to admit that he rapes you. He abuses us. America has abused, raped, murdered, stolen from us. And so at this crossroads that we're at, we will see if America doubles down on what it's been on for the past 400 years. Throwing towels at Puerto Rico, making the governor lie about how many people died because they don't matter because you're a fucking not white person. He doesn't care about you. Fuck your people. That's what he was trying to tell you. And your your governor was okay with that because he got rewarded. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He wanted to sell Puerto Rico for Greenland. Yeah, I know. I heard that. If young people give a fuck, because I, I, you know, there's you know, there's there's the argument on oh, voting doesn't matter. Well, they sure do make sure that you don't vote. They don't want you to. So I would say, yeah, it kind of matters. So I'm thinking, kind of matters. Let's right. you know, see if young people vote without trapping and doing these stupid ass dances in the South and whatever all over the country. Will you take your ass and go vote? At least start with that change. But and I'm pleasantly surprised. People marching and trying to stand for something. From you know again, and then the you know and watching uh, people who are not of color say this is wrong, and and taking a stand. If we if if we at least make that stand and at least change this figurehead, as hard as that may be, the nigga will probably refuse to get out. But if you if if we can at least do that, um. You know, and not do the Marie Antoinette, go to the circus and, and fucking eat the cake. If we can just not be fucking morons for a little bit, um, we we have the ability to change our trajectory. We can always course correct. If not, if, if he doubles down on this, we, I, you know, which is what a lot of scholars are saying, like, this is the end of an empire. This is never guaranteed. This, you know, other empires, like thousands of years. This is This is a baby. So this ain't shit. Well, American excellence and all this shit is a baby and it ain't guaranteed to be here much longer. So I, I think it's the beginning of the end. If 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 we don't course correct now, beginning of the end. We still have a chance to rectify some of the ideas. And like I said, there's some things that I've seen that are encouraging. Watching people go out and march. Watch never had white people acknowledge nationally politicians and leaders to say systematic racism. It's always always isolated. You understand? Oh no, that just, you know, it just happened at one time. No nigga. It's the education system. It's the economics. It's the, this, you know, now that we've never seen that ownership in 400 years, they never owned that. So that's promising to me to watch them admit this is, Everything we fucked you up in education, we fucked you up with what you eat, we fucked you up 
with the trauma when you were born, with your edu- with your entertainment. We made sure you look like a fucking buffoon on purpose. You understand what I'm saying? Of course. We made ourselves the hero, and you were always the fucking stupid side story, comic relief buffoon, threatening the, the thug Puerto Rican. Hey, what you got, muchacho? You know, that shit. We finally getting them to it. Just to admit that is a lot to me. Now, where do we go from here? Do we start fixing it? Because we had to, we had to, we had to diagnose the, the disease first. Now that we diagnosed it, now it's time to see what are we going to do to fix it. Before we, they wouldn't even allow you to diagnose the disease. You keep trying to say systematic. Right? No, no, I really mean no. It's never not that. It's not. It's just isolated. It's just this guy. You know, those people. Do. No, bro. So we'll see what happens. I'm totally interested in the, you know, I say it in the song, uh, American Horror Story. I feel like I'm watching the the final season of America. <laughs> it's maybe like the final season, bro. Regardless of your age, young or old, be sure to go out there and vote. Don't sleep on that. Don't sleep on that right, that privilege that people died for. Correct. Yes, sir. No question. No question. So I want to I want to thank you for your time, man. I want to encourage everybody to go out there and check out the new album, INCS, the vinyl playlist. And uh, as, yes. usual, as usual, it has supreme lyricism, plenty of quotables. It's a socially relevant, iconic guest and it's chock full of quality hip hop. So definitely go out there and pick that thing up. Thank you so much, Razcast, for not only for doing the interview, man. Thank you. For all of the quality that you've uh, imparted throughout the years on this culture and this art form. I appreciate you. Thank you, Insomniac Magazine, for supporting me from back in the day and to now. And Florida, stop, you know, don't give math to your alligators. You know, <laughs> go vote. <laughs> no, but uh, no, nah, much love. You know, Shouts out. No, nah, man. Uh, you know, yeah. Thank you for having me. And um, we'll do it again, man. I'm not clearing shit. There's a pre-order. Um, I'll send that link. And, uh, you know, you know, definitely please support it, man. It's good music.